Welcome to On DOD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jared Serbu. And glad you're with us this week. And as we reported a couple months ago, the Army is in the midst of a pretty significant revamp of its advertising and marketing operation, really for the first time in decades. It is standing up a new organization called Army Enterprise Marketing. It will replace the Pentagon-based Army Marketing and Research Group. The new organization is based in Chicago, alongside the ad firm DDB, a company the Army recently hired under a multi-billion dollar contract to help with its ad campaigns. The first of those new campaigns, called What's Your Warrior, is rolling out right now. Our guest for the first part of this week's show is the Chief of Army Enterprise Marketing, Brigadier General Alex Fink. Fink is an Army reservist, and he has spent his civilian career in the corporate marketing and branding business. General Fink talked with me by phone from Army Enterprise Marketing's new offices in Chicago. And General, thanks for doing this, first of all. And, and we'll get to the new ad campaign in just a few minutes. But, but first of all, I'd like you to set the scene a little bit for people who are not familiar with the new organization that, that you're leading, because it is very new. Talk a bit about what it is. I mean, what is Army Enterprise Marketing compared to essentially the organization you're replacing, the former Army uh, Marketing Group? Sure. So Army Marketing and Research Group, or AMRG, uh, is, the, is the legacy organization that has helped manage the Army's marketing efforts, and that includes both uh, as a brand steward, but also uh, running the, the marketing elements to support campaigns. And so that organization, um, which has changed over, over time uh, since really the early 2000s, is, is going to be standing down here in the next oh, three, four, or five months or so as activities transition into a, really a much different organization called Army Enterprise Marketing. And let me just speak to what, what we're trying to do, sort of the aim of, mm-hmm. of what the Army wants to do with this first, and then I can talk a little more specifics. But really... What, what my job is and what the leadership within the Army, but also on my team, is to transform Army's marketing into a modern, agile team and, uh, and, and really in, invest into the data and the digital marketing capabilities that we, we really haven't had in the past. And so that's, that's kind of the, the really big difference is, is, is becoming a modern, agile marketing team. And so while the AMRG has, been, has done great work for the Army, it was designed you know, in a different era, and marketing has changed. And, and uh, so the differences between the organizations are, are pretty significant. And let me just talk about one is, is um, really how we're organized in terms of the different functions that we have, but in particular, the analytics and data capabilities that we uh, aim to have. So, you know, you, we, we have data scientists on our new TDA. We'll be looking for folks who have great data management skill sets that they can bring to what we have. So that's that's the big difference because as we is within the area of marketing, which really is digital marketing these days, particularly with regard to the target audience for a large portion of our work, which is that Gen Z today, is uh, we have to reach them where they live, which is in the digital area. Uh, another big difference between the two organizations is how we how we are staffing it. So we have certain we're, we're staffing it separately in terms of skill sets, but we're also staffing it differently in terms of the types of folks who will will be here uh, regard to civilian versus military. So we have 
today AMRG is largely a civilian organization with great folks who, who do the work and just a handful of military folks. And, um, and that's transitioning to a predominantly military organization. So three-fifths of, of Army Enterprise marketing will be uh, uniform military, and about two-fifths will be civilian, and those civilian will be uh, really in two different areas, specific marketing skill sets like data science and then other skill sets more around the area of contract management, program management, and budget and financial analysis. So those are the civilian skill sets. But on the officer and uh, the uniform side, uh, we are standing up a new functional area for the Army called Functional Area 58, which will be a marketing officer. So much like we have public affairs officers, uh, captains will now have the opportunity to compete for positions as, to be an Army marketer. And uh, they'll they'll do that as a as a senior captain once they're um, once they're KD key development qualified, and compete for this uh, new new functional area, and, and that would take them to a graduate school and then on to uh, working here at Army Enterprise Marketing. Uh, the they would probably transition at some point down to USAREC, uh, to recruiting command or cadet command, maybe have a stint through TRADOC, maybe even the building. The, the Pentagon and, and possibly a teaching uh, gig at West Point at some point. So that's kind of a career path. And then they'd, they'd always circle back here to Army Enterprise Marketing in between some of those assignments. So the idea here is that we're going to create a new career path really for officers who can, who we assess into this marketing to where they can, they can have a whole different, you know, whole different type of set of experiences that can, and, and continue to progress, you know, in terms of rank and responsibility. So that's a that's a big difference uh, because we're really trying to grow this competency, uh, with the uniformed structure that we have. So that's that's a big difference. We're here in Chicago, uh, Illinois, and that's by that's by design for a few reasons. Our agency uh, lead agency team DDB is here in Chicago, and so ha- me having been a uh, you know I'm an Army Reserve officer, which has enabled me to have a civilian career in sales and marketing, and I've had some experience working with and for agencies, and it's been my uh, experience that agency-client relationships typically go south when they stop communicating on a a frequent basis. And so the fact that we are not co-located, but we're about a 15-minute walk from where DDB is, helps reinforce just that constant engagement with our our agency and, and then with us. So that's, uh, I think that's healthy for a long-term sustained relationship. So l- let me circle back on the, the uh, uniform workforce piece of this, because I think it's really interesting. Um, talk a bit more about the reasons the Army decided it needed a bigger uniform component in marketing and, and to, as you said, create this, this career field. How is this functional area, f- functional area 58, as you said, distinct from a, a recruiting career field? If you think about it, uh, the recruiting you know, career field is is very much a sales career field, and it's not so much a, it's not really a functional area for officers like what we're talking about with marketing. So marketing will be a defined functional area that an officer would go into, and that's not necessarily the case with with recruiting. Now there are folks who will have assignments in recruiting, but it's not a, it's not its own functional area. So that's that's a pretty significant difference. So once you come into the functional area. The functional area really that that drives your assignments, and so we'll be able to have folks, you know, officers who are 
really assigned to the functional area, and then, then I can, uh, I, and whoever my successor is, can um, help mentor them through the rest of their Army careers to get them the types of assignments that they need to be great marketers. But that includes circling into other other areas. We don't want to just park here in Army Enterprise Marketing. Uh, that's typically not how we do assignments in the Army. We, we like to give people different experiences, mm-hmm. uh, particularly as they increase in um, rank so that their responsibilities are commensurate with their rank. So, Really, really my question, though, is, is why did the Army feel it was important for this to be a, a, you know, a capability that's handled by you know, a, a uniform core of the workforce rather than, as AMRG did it, uh, you know, civilians? Why has why that change something you guys decided to do? I get. I, I don't know that I I wasn't involved in all the conversations uh, that led to the decision to do the functional area, but I think it was that this is a very critical area for the Army. I mean, we we have a um, requirement to bring in a certain number of new soldiers every year, no matter no matter what our in strength goals are. Or what our you know what our mission is based on that in strength we have a requirement so this is a this is a critical component of of of, of a nation having an army and when you have things that are this critical particularly in an in an area where we can do so many things in the in the digital marketing realm to help influence and and shape and manage that accessions process. It was. It's. It just seems like a natural place where you would have a, a career field, just like we we have in public affairs. Uh, secondly, is that we and along with the recruiting command and and really the entire sessions enterprise, ultimately we would like to be able to put some of those recruiters back into the operating force and not necessarily have as many out on the field, out 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 in the out in the out in um, the communities. And and I don't know exactly what that right number is, mm-hmm. but. Um, if we can establish a a professional competency in marketing that ultimately enables us with we're talking you know maybe between when we're at the max maybe 80 to 85 people who are army marketers and and because of those those um those skill sets that these this professional core can bring and to the extent that we're able to to fund fully fund army marketing we can return, you know, a couple thousand recruiters back into the operating force, putting them back into formations. That's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good trade-off. So, uh, so that's I think that's part of it. And and there's great interest as well. Um, you know, this is right along with the Army's people strategy and how we are going to start looking at how we manage officers, well, officers and you know, all, and NCOs enlisted everybody. Uh, how we how we do that. And so there's, um, you know, the, today I think it's two variables that we make assignments by, and I think we're going to 26. I don't, I'm not 100% sure if that's exactly the right number, but it's 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 significantly more, and some of that is preference. And you maybe you've even heard the chief talk about this um, at um, in previous venues, giving folks uh, preferences. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is uh, this is an area where there's a lot of a lot of um, interest amongst our folks. They they like to do this sort of thing, so that's part of it too. Those. Yeah, yeah. Hope, hope, maybe we can circle back to talent management and, and the people strategy mm-hmm. in just a minute. But we should mm-hmm. talk about the new campaign that you guys are rolling out here in November. Sure. This, this, of course, would be the first the first major campaign under the uh, under the auspices of the new enterprise marketing offices. And, and as I understand it, it really does start to get to this idea that you've talked about before that the Army needs to communicate 
the breadth and depth of, of career fields and, and, and options throughout all the formations uh, as opposed to being so heavily focused on, you know, the current war fight. Is that about right? And, it's, and, and just talk about what you're trying to do here. Yeah, so let's just, uh, let's, maybe if we just talk about two foundational tenets of the campaign. One is that we believe young folks, thinking that 17 to 24-year-old Gen Z uh, population, uh, that cohort, uh, want to do, they want to do things that make them the best version of themselves. Uh, and second, they want to be part of something big, bigger, bigger than themselves individually. And we have information uh, and data research that supports that, but it's, it, we, I, I happened to sit through a, um, a presentation at the Recruiting Command just last week where we had a, a Gen Z outside speaker come in and spoke to exactly the same thing. So I think it's fairly well, I think we can safely, I think we can say that that's a, that's, that's a fairly well-known um, idea about this Gen Z. Um, so uh, that's right in our wheelhouse. So, how, but how do we do that? And so they they want to become something. They, there's something they they want to become the best version of themselves. But they may not necessarily want to do it in the, the only way that we've been showing that, uh, which is in a you know very combat centric role. And we do you know many more things than that. We've got 150 MOS opportunities, over 150 uh, opportunities. So so we want to show the breadth and depth of of that. But really. It's about showing those opportunities that that you can do things that you you might already want to do anyway, in or in or out of a uniform. But then also how that all comes together to be part of this this great team. Talking with Brigadier General Alex Fink, the Chief of Army Enterprise Marketing. We'll come back and talk more about the new What's Your Warrior campaign in just a few minutes. This is on DoD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, this is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And our guest is Brigadier General Alex Fink, the chief of the new Army Enterprise Marketing Office in Chicago. We're talking about the organization itself and the new ad campaign the Army is launching called What's Your Warrior? Before the break, General Fink told us the idea is to showcase the breadth and depth of career choices the Army offers to potential recruits. And how, how, does, how does a campaign like this look different than something the Army might have done 25 years ago, which I assume would have been heavily geared toward broadcast TV and probably radio? Well, it looks different in, in many respects. And let me just circle back because it is important to maybe think about past campaigns mm-hmm. and, and that we're, 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 you know, we're, we're up against some headwinds. Um, some of those headwinds are the great employment uh, situation that we're, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're being considered against when, when people think about whether I want to be in, in, you know, in the military at all. So that's, that's, that, that, that's great for the country, but it's a challenge for recruiting. Uh, there's low awareness, uh, a lot based on this increasing civilian military divide. So people just don't have as much connection to, um, to folks who serve like they used to, and particularly relatives. Uh, there's the just to, quite frankly the the ability for candidates to be qualified both physically uh, and um, you know meet educational requirements and things like that. So those are some of the challenges that we have. Uh, what we have done in the past is somewhat reinforce what people already think about the army, and so we've shown uh, ads that show these combat-centric roles, and we're not really 
we're not really surprising anybody in that. That's kind of what they already think. And they may have already disqualified themselves because they may not say, well, that's not me. I can't do that. I'm not physically capable of, of jumping out of a helicopter. Or that's not me because I'm not interested in doing something like that. And, 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 and all of those factors that I just said sort of contribute to that. So the new campaign is, is much different in, in, uh, in many aspects. So one, I've already talked about the revealing the breadth and depth and showing how, how it's going to come together. So how are we doing that? We're doing that in, uh, A, what, by surprising them. So we believe that this new generation They've made an Olympic sport out of thumbing through social media on their on their phones. And so we've got to stop them. We've got to earn their attention. And how do you do that? You stop them by surprising them. And so we're surprising them with many, every element that we can that we can think of or every sense that we can think of. So the, the colors that we use are going to be much different than what you've ever seen. We're doing it in the way that we are talking about what, what Army service would, would be like, uh, trying to show all these roles, but in really, you know, cool uh, ways that we think will resonate. Um, it's going to look a little bit more, and you've maybe already seen some of the graphics, uh, a little bit more uh, kind of futuristic in a sense, almost like a uh, could have a, a sense of a Marvel type, uh, you know, property to it, and and that's intentional because we know that that uh, that episodic, uh, immersive type of st- storytelling world that they've grown up in that appeals to them, and so we're trying to use. Leverage leverage that, and in order to um, to get them to stop uh, the type of music that we use on those uh, those assets that will that will have a audio component will be much different than what they've ex- ever expected. So, in every element, we we expect a surprise. Uh, we, we intend to surprise our our audience, and then uh, it'll change over time. So that's that's the other thing. Just because we we, so we come out with something that's pretty cool. Right at the beginning, uh, we know we've got to continuously change that, and so we'll show these um, this, these characters will come out in a in the first the first uh, chapter one, if you will. We call it, we'll call them chapters here. Chapter one, we're going to introduce uh, five career categories, uh, but really not necessarily designed to drive people towards those specific career categories. Really, just to show them that that they can do different things than what they thought, and do it in a really cool way. But then as we evolve the campaign in chapters two and three, we're going to go into more depth into each of these types of career fields and then introduce more career fields to get them to, to try to get them to be, you know, to, to see, see what's, what's resonating and, um, and then be able to measure this thing constantly, you know, by, by many different uh, variables, whether it's geography, uh, demographics, be able to measure what you know what what which ones are doing well, which ones aren't doing well, and, and change on the fly. So those are some of the key differences. Obviously, it's going to be dig- delivered very digitally. Uh, so this will be uh, we'll still do some linear TV because we do know that some of that still works in certain areas of the country for sure. And so you'll still see us. Sports is still an important part of of um, our mix mix of media. And some some cable uh, will be out there as well. And other sports and not just um, you know, college football, probably NBA, probably, but some other things as well that perhaps we traditionally haven't been been um, that we have you haven't seen us on. So we'll be looking at that, that entire mix. But digital is really where we're going to be, and that includes both the 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 basically you know the the banner type ads that we'll have uh, all hopefully you know all intended to be integrated into other elements of the campaign, and then all all of it leading into GoArmy.com. 
is ultimately where we want to get our our, our audience. Uh, so social again will be a, will be a, will be an important piece of this. Uh, some out of house as well in certain places, certain cities, and things like that. So so how it's delivered or where it's delivered is is going to be uh, much different than where we've been in the past. Yeah, and this is certainly not the first time the Army has done online advertising and even social media advertising, but it sounds like what's a little bit new here is is you're trying to tell a story here and, and come up with ways that that's going to break through that, that all the clutter of display ads that people see every day on their various online platforms. For sure, one of the driving... Uh, factors about this look and feel of this campaign was to break out of what we call the sea of sameness so so that we don't look like all the other uh, particularly the other military uh, ads the mm-hmm. other services and their ads we want to look different we don't we want to own this and and we can own it we think uh, if we if we execute it smartly uh, own this look and feel interest you know just little things that we're doing like we're not necessarily showing uh, telling somebody right up front that this is an army, uh, an army ad, because uh, our audience may already believe that they already know who we are. So we don't want them turning us off as soon as they, uh, as soon as they realize that we need to, we need to draw them in. And I think, uh, for example, our 60-second base spot, which is basically how we've, how we then we, how we make their 30-second and our 15-second. Uh, the, the feedback we've got, even from this cohort, is, is that it really draws me in. Like, I want to watch it, and, and the, the response we really hope for is, I want to watch it again. I want to watch it again. Show me again. Uh, that was cool. And so um, that's, that's, uh, that's what's making this a little bit different uh, than, than previous campaigns. Yeah, and you're going to want to see some metrics, I assume, to, to find out if it really does draw people in, which, which brings us back, I think, to the big data point that you raised earlier. How are you going to measure you know, success in individual markets you know, across the breadth of the campaign, figure out what's working, and, and adjust as you go? Well, there's, there's the traditional uh, standard industry ways we can do that. Uh, um, ultimately, it's going to be how we're doing with the sessions and contracts and within those areas and the feedback that we're getting from the field. One new thing that we've done this year, and this is more of an army marketing, uh, army enterprise marketing than the campaign, but we have this, uh, we are putting much more, a more robust team, uh, into the, uh, recruiting brigades. And then they'll also be supporting cadet command as well. Uh, so in the past, we've had field marketing representatives, and they did great work, but they were primarily buying local media. Uh, today, we're going to have that that team is going to be plussed up with uh, with folks from in strategy and in analytics. So these local teams, um, and it won't necessarily be for one specific city, but in many cases, they may have several cities in their footprint. But they're going to have that analytics and uh, strategy capabilities at, at that local level to help them look at what the inf- what, what what data we're seeing and then and then make smart local purchases based on based on that and not just based on maybe historically how they've done it and and that'll all be connected right back into uh, us here in Chicago both uh, here at Army Enterprise Marketing as well as with Team DDB where we are replicating that that same team that we call it the cortex, but the strategy, media, and uh, market research to ensure that we are, you know, we've got this close um, connection between local, national, and how we're using information 
to uh, inform new um, purchases of, of inventory, media inventory. Um, want to go back to the people strategy and, and talent management and, and the little bit of time we have left. And, and as, as I understand the strategy, it, it really is, as you said, about giving people more options, managing individuals as individuals instead of uniform widgets in, in a big system. What is what is the marketing piece of that? How, how do you play into that? Because, you know, the bigger recessions enterprise is certainly a big part of that people strategy. But what's the marketing specific part of it in your mind? I think so. I'm not sure that we have formal. There's a formal marketing element of that, other than, uh, well, part of this is this. This all falls into Dr. Wardinsky's and General Siemens. I mean, I mean, it falls into the uh, Chief of Staff of the Army and the Secretary's portfolio because they're they're in charge. But, but Dr. Wardinsky and, and General Siemens have been the the stewards of those of those programs, and so by by the, and, and and as is this uh, as is army enterprise marketing is also in in their portfolio so a lot of the things that informed how we have designed both army enterprise marketing but also the strategy within the campaign were informed by by the army people strategy and so uh and and it will and that's this campaign, and you can, you can kind of see this, that you can do different things. You can do what you want to do. You can be part of this great team, and you can do it in uniform, which is, you know, part of the whole, part of the entire uh, people strat- Army people strategy. Uh, then, uh, we have not embarked on this, but we intend to, in the future, is doing an Army brand refresh. And when we think about the Army brand, it is... It is more than the accessions enterprise piece. While the accessions is hugely important to us, and the primary reason uh, for our, our primary mission, uh, we still have a brand out there that we need to steward that has 1.3 million stakeholders, a million in uniform, uh, 300,000 or so civilians that that um, need to, you know, need, need to they 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 have a stake in this brand. Not, not to mention the countless veterans we have family members and uh, other industry partners so uh, we need to we owe the army a um, a a better architecture than what we have right now around the army brand and I very much can see part of that you know the the army people strategy will very much inform that that work which we haven't embarked on yet uh, last question on this. I, I, I'm curious. I, I understand what you said earlier about you know not not wanting to spend precious marketing efforts telling people what they already know about the army. But but I wonder if it's possible to take that too far in, in a way that the audience starts to perceive the messaging as disingenuous or deceptive in a way that you know you, you know you're telling us <laughs> the army doesn't do infantry anymore. We're all doctors and logisticians and marketers and cyber experts. Um, is is there a risk that people start to think you're being dishonest about what what the army really is in its full breadth? Does that question make I sense? I think that yeah, it absolutely does. And I can't wait to send you the sixty second spot. I think once you see the sixty second spot, um, you'll see that we are we are every ba- uh, we are very much a um, I think being pretty accurate uh, with that. So we have not. Not show, we have not taken out that combat role at all in in the new um, in the new campaign. Uh, we are it is still part of the campaign, and um, 
yeah, it's still part of it. We've just uh, we've just added to the added to that with other other showing other other things you can do. And importantly, what the campaign tries to do, we'll try to do is talk about how these all come together. And so it's not just about they're all wearing the uniform, but how these uh, the 60 second spot, for example, will show how one function helps inform another function, helps inform another function. And so it's trying to, to bring that teamwork together. So I, I'm not concerned right now that we are going to look like we're uh, deceiving each other because it is when you see the first ad, you know it, it is uh, we we're trying to uh, uh, see at a risk of saying something I shouldn't hear. We're trying to get we want you know the badass should be the response you get from this thing. Like that is cool. We're not necessarily doing this in a totally permissive environment. Brigadier General Alex Fink is the chief of Army Enterprise Marketing. He joined me by phone from the organization's brand new offices in Chicago to talk about the new What's Your Warrior campaign and the Army's new approach to marketing. We'll post some teaser images from that new campaign at federalnewsnetwork.com. Short break, and when we come back, some of the initial metrics from DOD's Defense Innovation Unit are now coming in. We'll talk with DIU about what the Silicon Valley Outpost has accomplished in the few years it's been up and running. That's next on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbiv. This is on DOD. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, this is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. The Defense Department stood up the Defense Innovation Unit, or DIU, back in 2015. The idea was to let DOD start to tap into ideas from the sorts of companies it normally doesn't work with, both in and out of Silicon Valley. Even after some early successes, DIU has its skeptics in Congress who worry it's been tough to gauge exactly how successful the enterprise has been as a whole. But DIU is now out with its first long-term metrics. They cover the last two and a half years. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni talked with Michael Madsen, DIU's Director of Strategic Engagement, about the numbers and what they mean for the unit's future. This was a statutory uh, reporting requirement for DIU. And it's the second congressional report, uh, and we saw it as another mechanism uh, that we could use to articulate to one of our key stakeholders our mission, our five focus areas, and our metrics. And really, we took that opportunity and ran with it and really wanted to give a rich, robust narrative on all the great things that DIU has been doing since its inception, um, and really the value not only to our stakeholders on the Hill, but also the value to the warfighter and the value to the taxpayer as we can stretch the dollar a little bit further by uh, leveraging commercial technology instead of uh, generating that technology organically. So uh, we wanted to continue to update our metrics. um, And uh, this was an opportunity to not only um, communicate those internally to the DIU audience, but also uh, externally, as I said, to our stakeholders. And what we see in the uh, reporting requirement was it was an opportunity really to come out with our metrics, um, what we are focusing on, what we think we're doing well, the areas that we need to continue to focus on, and tease out a little bit more. Um, And it's an opportunity, like I said, share our metrics in presentations elsewhere. Uh, And we're an agile organization, so we want to um, keep those metrics updated as, uh, as frequently as we need to. So DIU was created in 2015. You start this you start this report in 2016, a year later, and it spans about two and a half years. Within that time, you've started 
109 projects, you've finished a little over 40 of them, and then about 23% of those completed projects have gone on and transitioned into contracts uh, for the Defense Department or for DIU. Are you satisfied with the rate of, of success and the rate of fielding that you're getting out of your experiments? Absolutely. Um, so taking a step back, uh, if you recall, we were stood up uh, to increase the connective tissue between the Department of Defense and the tech ecosystem and leverage all of that great commercial technology and investment in R&D that was taking place out there and see if we could bring some of that technology with minor customization into the department to solve some of the department problems. And a lot of it was prototyping technologies uh, to solve those problems, but also we were prototyping methodologies, new ways of doing business, new ways of thinking about things. So it wasn't just the technology, but also the process and the way by which we would bring that technology into DOD. And so if we, if we peel those numbers back a little bit that you stated, and we look at the completed projects. So we had 25 completed projects. And of those 25, six projects did not transition. So that's about 25%. Uh, and we think that's a fair number. If we were transitioning 100% of our projects, then we wouldn't be leaning far forward enough. We wouldn't be taking enough risk. We would be a little bit uh, finding that, that uh, equilibrium spot that is not uh, getting that technology for DOD. We had eight projects that successfully transitioned, and we think that's, that's a great number. So that's about 30%. So what we're focusing on now are those 11 projects that were successful prototypes eligible for transition but did not transition for whatever reason. Perhaps the duty partner only needed a limited number, um, various reasons for that. And so that's one of the things that we're looking at as we go forward is how we can take some of the transformative projects, make sure that we have um, robust transition mechanisms in place to not only transition those prototypes for the original DOD partner, but also to shop that solution around elsewhere inside the department and see what other organizations might have a similar problem that that would be a solution for. So we're happy with where we are, um, but we're never happy with exactly where we are. We're always going to lean forward, push a little bit, bit harder and a little bit further forward. So that's kind of where we are with the transition piece right now. So when a project or a prototype fails, what are the reasons behind that? Is it because DOD isn't ready for it? The technology is, isn't ready? What, what is going into that decision and that issue? Both of those are, are great reasons. Uh, it could be that once we do the prototype, that it did not solve the specific problem that the duty partner was looking for. Uh, it could be that there was too much customization required uh, for that technology to truly solve that. Um, or it, it could be a variety of reasons. It may be uh, it failed, and uh, I use the word failure lightly, because um, that failure also could have informed a larger acquisition strategy that is a huge win as that service component would go forward uh, in a different direction, but with that knowledge from that prototype. So you have about 20 projects that have been completed but have not transitioned into contracts or into the Defense Department. What are you doing now to sort of grease the wheels and make sure that they do get on contract or go somewhere that is of importance? That's a, a great question and have to take a little step back on that and set a little more context and go back to that uh, methodology prototyping that I was talking about. And since we have continued to evolve, we're an agile organization, flat organization, continue to evolve and adapt uh, to our environment. 
And two of the organizations, sub-organizations that we have stood up this calendar year, one of them is called the Defense Engagement Team. The other one is called the Commercial Engagement Team. And those two teams are really targeted at getting after exactly what you talked about. I'll talk about the Commercial Engagement Team first uh, so we can spend a little more time on the Defense Engagement Team. So the Commercial Engagement Team is designed to be out in the tech ecosystem, get a, a understanding of what the uh, state-of-the-art is, what the emerging technology is, and have a sense of that, but also to uh, kind of link that up with our five tech focus areas, AIML, autonomy, human systems, commercial space, and cybersecurity, and make sure that we understand who's out there, who's on the leading edge in each one of those focus areas, so that when we do put out a solicitation, we know that we'll have a rich, robust ecosystem that's going to be able to submit to that. And again, we're looking for the best technology across the United States. We're not looking just in Silicon Valley, just in Austin, just in Boston. We're looking for all of those great tech hubs uh, and all of the tech companies that are springing up there to solve some of our DoD problems. So that's primarily what the commercial engagement team does. Now, the defense engagement team, uh, you can think of it as, uh, I guess, the nearest commercial uh, parallel would be the two-way street of sales and business development. So on the business development part, that happens early. They're out there engaging with our DoD customers, figuring out what the problems are, um, helping to really distill some of those problems down to a simply stated problem so we can peel back the layers and, and fully understand what the heart of the issue is. And then they'll bring that into uh, DIU, where we'll bring it into the specific portfolio. They'll continue to curate the problem into a simply stated problem statement. And then we have another internal mechanism called a uh, project decision board, where it's a deliberate, transparent process by which we will uh, make the decision which projects we're going to take on and which ones we won't. And part of that matrix is, is it transformative? Is this going to be um, life-saving? Is this um, dollar-saving? Is this something that can uh, transition and scale across the services or platforms? Uh, and then once, once we do take it on and it goes through the prototyping phase, once we have a successful prototype, then that other side of the street that I mentioned earlier, the sales part of it, that's where the defense engagement team will take that successful prototype and then go back out to the defense department, the services, the agencies, and see if there are some other problems that can be solved by that prototype. A, a really um, easy to describe uh, example of this would be predictive maintenance. We started with the Air Force. We had some success on some uh, aircraft platforms, scaled to some other aircraft platforms in the Air Force. Then we took it to the Army. We awarded a prototype contract to apply predictive maintenance to the Bradley Fighting Vehicle fleet. And now we're working with the Navy to see about the viability of applying that same concept to uh, ship maintenance. So that's an example of, of a successful prototype. Our defense engagement team then took it back out to sell it. And so the defense engagement team is now engaged in some of those projects that are el eligible for transition and seeing uh, how else we can, we can scale those across the department. Michael Madsen is Director of Strategic Engagement at the Defense Innovation Unit. More of his discussion with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni after one more break. This is On DoD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbian.
back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu, and we're talking with Michael Madsen, the Director of Strategic Engagement at the Defense Innovation Unit. DIU is just out with its first set of metrics showing the success rate of its projects and the sorts of companies it's been working with over the last two and a half years. As he told Federal News Network Scott Massioni, one of DIU's goals has been to take on at least five of what it calls transformative projects each year. A project that we're working on, which started as a DARPA cyber challenge, that they developed the technology. We took that technology that came out of that challenge and further developed it. And what it does is it um, uses AI coupled with cybersecurity to automatically detect and mitigate cyber vulnerabilities. And so that's one of the things that we think clearly um, there are some transformative properties there. We think that that will be able to scale across uh, services. So that's something that uh, we're very excited to be working on. Do you feel like this report has allayed some of the fears that Congress has had about DIU? Obviously, they are worried about money. They're in charge of money. They don't want to give too much risk to things. So are you? do you feel that, that Congress is on board with what you're doing and uh, that, that they're concerns are being addressed. We are always happy to engage in the the dialogue and the discussion and articulate the return on investment that DIU brings in accelerating that technology to the warfighter. Uh, We believe that by leveraging commercial technology, we're uh, advancing that investment so we can stretch that dollar a little bit further by leveraging that commercial technology, applying some minor customizations to it, bring it into the Defense Department and solve some of those challenges. So our, our sense is uh, yes, we think the relationship has improved, but again, we are not satisfied to sit back on our haunches and and be happy and satisfied with that. We're going to continue to uh, push the edge to accelerate the commercial technology to DOD and to continue to uh, tell our story on the Hill and articulate the return on investment and the value we bring to the warfighter and to the taxpayer. One of the really interesting things about Since You've Started is a lot of the words that are synonymous with DIU the Defense Innovation Unit, have now scaled up into the Defense Department. So they're using words like taking risk, innovation, venture capitalism, that that type of stuff. In 2018, the the X, the experimental part used to be DIUX, was taken from your your name, and, and that was supposed to signify an integration within the Defense Department. What have you noticed since that change has happened, and, and do you feel like more part of the Pentagon as a whole? We were thrilled uh, that the movement behind taking away the X was to transmit our permanence in the ecosystem, the defense ecosystem. Uh, so that was great news for us uh, that that was the messaging behind it. And as I mentioned before, not only do we prototype technology, but we prototype methodology. So we're also thrilled to see you know prototyping come into regular use. Um, uh, assessing risk, smartly assessing risk and mitigating where it can and not uh, just being happy with minimizing the risk, that equilibrium position. So we are absolutely happy to see all of those changes taking place. You mentioned in this report that 92 of the companies that you worked with on these prototypes, you had 109 of at least projects throughout this, this two and a half year period. 92 were non-traditional companies. That's that's a, a pretty big number. Can you give us a, a, a bit of a spectrum of the companies that you're working with? I also believe that for 45 of them, it was their first time working with the Defense Department as a whole. The statutory authority to use other transactions 
to rapidly prototype uh, favorites non-traditionals, but it also gives ways that the traditional industrial base can work with us as well uh, through various means. And I think the reason we're, that we're focusing on non-traditionals is we're trying to grow the national security innovation base. Um, you know, back when I was in a, on a previous job, I worked on a panel that was looking at streamlining defense acquisition, and I interviewed about 100 tech CEOs. And one of the first questions I asked them was, you evaluate the Defense Department marketplace, a $733 billion defense marketplace, and you say no thanks. And the responses I got, I was able to bin into um, fairly identifiable buckets. It was too expensive, it's too complex, uh, takes too long, all of those type of things. So what we do is we lower those barriers to entry to the defense marketplace and get access to that technology in the agile uh, companies that are developing all those type of things. So we represent a, a way that those companies can come into the defense marketplace. Now you ask about some of the different country companies. Um, non-traditional does not necessarily mean small business. We do work with a lot of um, small tech companies that are very agile and able to respond to the emerging technology. We work with large tech companies. Uh, in fact, one very large company as I said, evaluated the defense marketplace, made the business decision not to work with the department because they had a, a whole host of other customers. And they started working with DIU. We showed them that it was, it was easy to work with the defense department. We put them on a prototype contract in a short amount of time. And subsequent to that, they are now on four or five other uh, contracts, uh, FAR-based contracts, uh, working as a sub to a prime. And so we see that as truly pulling a company into the national security innovation base. We're not looking just to pull a company in for one prototype and then end that relationship. We want to pull tech companies in and be a uh, enduring, uh, sophisticated partner for the Department of Defense. How do you feel about the size of DIU? Your funding right now is, is not really a lot compared to most programs in the Defense Department. You're asking for a, a good bit of extra money in 2020, but you're also expanding a bit. Uh, where do you land on the size and budget of your agency at this point? What we want to do is we want to stay agile. Uh, part of our mission set is that we leverage our DOD partners' funding. So even though we have a very modest budget, um, we, we have no desire to grow that to a humongous budget. But what we want to do is we want to remain agile, leverage our DOD partners' budget, and then uh, show a, a return on that investment. And if you look at our metrics, we're looking at a 10 times uh, cost savings. And that's going to continue to be our focus is to uh, bring that savings back to the department. And can you explain how you, you leverage partner funding? When I say leverage our partners' funding, we're leveraging the DOD partner funding. So oh, for that uh, predictive maintenance case that I described moments ago, uh, that was we used some of DIU's RDT&E, R&D funds, and then we also uh, used some of the Air Force's R&D funds. We, we leverage dual-use technology. So um, we... The value that we get is the technology that's already out on the commercial market, that's already in use, already in place, and we just look to prototype customization to solve DOD problems. So we don't get money from the companies. We put them on a prototyping contract. Michael Madsen is Director of Strategic Engagement at the Defense Innovation Unit, talking there with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. Before that, I talked with Brigadier General Alex Fink, the director of the new Army Enterprise Marketing Organization in Chicago. If you missed any part of this week's show, it'll be available at federalnewsnetwork.com slash on DOD or in our podcast feed. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. 
That's it for this week's edition of On DoD. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbia. So long. You've been listening to On DoD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Wednesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Hi, it's Kristen. Did you know that not doing things is easier than doing them? There's a lot of things to do, especially this time of year. But when you don't do things, there's more time to do things. Does that make sense? What I mean is when you use Shipt to get everything from gifts to groceries delivered same day, you have more time for the things you want to do. To not do things so that you can do other things, visit shipt.com slash holiday. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com slash holiday.